Hi, AGP learners, and welcome to our news update, where we're going to be covering some of the big stories of the past week um, that have been affecting primary care and health technology. Um, so let's tech enhance your primary care. If this is the first time that we're meeting, I'm Dr. Gandalf of EGP Learning, where I look at supporting you with technology enhancing your primary care and learning. Um, so if you want to make sure that you're getting all the updates and everything, make sure you subscribe and ring the bell so you get notified of all of our latest updates, including things like this news blast, as well as things like our Tip Thursdays and various other things that we produce for you, like the EGP Learning Pod Blast. Anyway, shall we get to it then? Um, so the biggest news of this week when it comes to primary care has to be the release of the long-term plan. So this is the NHS England long-term plan to spend what Theresa May called the birthday present for the NHS, but released back in the summer. Um, and it's been in the works for a few months because they've been looking at getting feedback from patients, providers, all that kind of stuff of how to best use these resources. Um, it was released on the 7th of January 2019 um, and this video is just going to cover the executive summary and the full document is 136 pages so apologies guys I've not had a chance to look through this whole document and um, the fact that it's been the first week but a proper first week back after the Christmas break and everything has been absolute chaos in practice and for some of those reasons we'll discuss later on the video um, but effectively a deeper dive into that document and particularly the tech side of things will happen but it's going to be a few weeks in the future. Anyway, if we have a look at the, the summary itself. So as I said, this is called the 10-year plan um, and various people have looked at it and already given their views and I've got some infographics that will be in the show notes for you to have a look at as well as a link to the executive summary. It's effectively split into seven different chapters. The first chapter focuses on how that money may be used in the community care. Um, and one of the key things it says is a spending increase um, to bring it, you know, successfully implemented changes already done across the UK um, and to then allow those to happen in other areas. So it's effectively taking models of care, things like vanguards, that kind of stuff that you may have heard of, that have been successful in certain areas and then applying those lessons to other places. One of the key things that many of you have probably heard about this document is the focus on digital use and particularly Skype's consultations has really hit the newspapers and that kind of stuff. What I found interesting looking at the executive summary is the fact that effectively it doesn't specifically say video consultations it may do in the full document. But as I say, in the executive summary, it doesn't specifically state that this has to be video consultation, just digital consultations and stuff. Um, and I think that's going to be interesting to see. Um, obviously, if you want to hear more about how video consultations may affect primary care, feel free to look at our other video, which you'll probably be seeing the card for right now. Um, but yeah, feel free to have a look and, and watch that video as well to hear some perspective of how video consultations will affect primary care. Um, but I think many people are excited as well as concerned about how this may apply um, and obviously the physicalities and that kind of stuff. We have seen certain areas where it's already been piloted and done, other areas where there, there needs to be changes in terms of infrastructure and that kind of stuff to support these kind of changes and stuff. Let's see the funding's there. Um, the other big thing is the focus moving away from what the current system is to effectively networks. Now, they haven't come out and, and said a specific term, but many people are banding the terms of either neighborhoods or primary care networks. And these are effectively covering populations of 30 to 50,000 patients um, in terms of delivering healthcare. And this is not just in terms of primary care in terms of um, you know general practices and that kind of stuff but it's also community care and social care working together to try and support patients and that kind of stuff so we're going to have to see how this plans out you may have already heard lots of you know 
your local areas and that kind of stuff, tackling these kind of things. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this, you know, works effectively, because there is also a focus on things like social prescribing, personal health budgets, and the use of the voluntary sector detailed within the plan itself. Um, but one of the key things is the guaranteed rate of increased spending in community care. And that's where this figure of 4.5 billion that was announced a few months ago has come from in terms of funding for up until 2023 um, to 2024. Uh, an interesting part of this funding is that it is specifically for community care. That doesn't mean that it's coming out for general practice, um, but it will be a sizable amount of funds coming through to support the delivery of healthcare closer to patients, i.e. in the community. Um, and I think when you combine a lot of these things, a lot of people have been talking about, does this mean the death knell for the single hand of practice and that you won't be able to have your corner shop general practitioner, that kind of thing, you know, the, the local GP practice servicing smaller populations? I think yes and no. So yes, in the sense that if you're the type of practice that is quite small and wanting to maintain your independence from all your other colleagues and that kind of stuff, the reality is that model probably won't work. You may make it, and there are, I'm sure there are going to be people that are going to try. Um, but effectively, to access this increased amount of funding, you will need to be part of these networks, because otherwise you won't be able to access the funding itself. So that may mean federating or working with your colleagues or in different ways um, to try and access the kind of funding to deliver better services and stuff. So that's where you know the whole concept of networks or neighborhoods is coming through and practice working together with their you know neighbors, their peers, that kind of stuff to provide services for practices. That doesn't mean that you still can't offer that personal service, that smaller practice kind of service and stuff. And actually, there are some um, larger practices that are, are modeling ways to do that. Things like modality, which use, you know, um, kind of chunking kind of methods for patient care to basically create lists of you know, approximately 3000 patients and stuff for teams to look after. So it's not to say it's not going to be possible. I think there is going to be a change in the way that healthcare is delivered, and that's because the funding is changing. But it's important to see how that moves forward for us. Um, but yeah, the focus of this is obviously moving away from hospital-based care. And some people are obviously concerned that, that does mean that there's less rate of increase of funding for secondary-based care. Um, we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but you know, other parts is also moving focus away from, um, towards sorry, urgent treatment centres compared to things like A&E and emergency departments. And a good amount of work is being spent in terms of using something called same-day discharges for hospitals. I'm not going to cover that in great detail because it's not really my expertise and I don't know a great deal about it. Chapter two talks about prevention. One of the interesting things I found about this is there's a big chunk of this that looks at things that like stop smoking, obesity programmes, reducing alcohol, all this kind of stuff. And what I find interesting, that's actually if you look at it, the remit of public health, which over the past couple of years has been severely stripped by local councils stopping their funding since the transfer of public health to local councils and stuff. And it kind of seems like now the NHS is saying that, well, we're going to take on that work that's no longer being developed, delivered by local councils. And that kind of seems like a shuffling of funds, if I'm being honest. Um, it's definitely something that's needed because we know that prevention is much better, generally speaking, for a lot of conditions in terms of, um, you know, uh, cost effective care over a long period of time. So effectively, you know, um, not smoking, therefore, means you've got low risk of developing things like COPD, lung cancer, and that kind of stuff. And therefore, in terms of your personal health, obviously better. Mm, cost effective in terms of population based care, you could argue there's potentially some percentical people that say that's not cost effective. But hey. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this works out. And I think, you know, 
one of the things I do like about this particular chapter is there is a big focus on the inequality. So tackling, for example, smoking and pregnancy, learning disabled patients, and um, that kind of stuff. And, and I think, you know, trying to balance um, the, the access and, and that kind of stuff for those kind of patients. Very important, I think. Chapter three, focus on quality improvements. Um, so particularly there's a focus here on mental health and um, with um, other kind of areas like cancer survival, um, maternity related deaths um, and increasing planned surgery. So elective surgery and stuff. Um, as I mentioned, that uh, mental health ring fenced amount of money that's going to be coming through that 2.3 billion aim for increase per year for mental health services desperately needed many of my you know will probably know working within general practice and patients will also recognize this as well accessing mental health support right now is a significant challenge in many areas and often can be felt quite lacking so desperately needed and i think you know it's about time that we're seeing some change in this Chapter four details are focused on technology, sorry, um, workforce, apologies. Um, so this is looking more at the, the way that the NHS can tackle its workforce challenges and it, it identifies a couple of areas. An interesting one is the reintroduction of training budgets for Health Education England, which was stripped away from them over the past few years. I mean, Health Education England has suffered significant cuts over the past few years. And it sounds like they've realised that that probably was a silly thing to do. And as a result of that, there is more funding going towards training. Good about time really um also a focus in terms of um improving routes for training for nurses as well as recruitment from overseas and also using other allied health professionals and stuff and um, what i did like about the executive summary though was it also comments about professional development and particularly in terms of gps looking at primary care networks to um encourage development of general practitioners and that kind of stuff meaning that hopefully we'll have more balanced and stable work life you know areas and things meaning that more of us stick around and can do so appropriately without burnout because that's a massive massive challenge moving forward we'll see Chapter five is probably the area I should have looked at in more detail for all of you guys today, but this is the area that I will look at in more future. And this is the focus of technology in terms of how it works with the long-term plan. Um, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of digital access for all, it's gonna be a key part of it, as well as interoperability between systems so that patients and clinicians can access the notes of those patients effectively and quickly. Um, it also looks at newer technologies, things like AI and potentially even things like genomics and that kind of stuff. As I said, this chapter, I'll look at it in more detail for you guys in the future. Chapter six, looking at the financial structural changes within the NHS to basically make sure that this these plans are sustainable. Um, you know, this is looking at um, changes that need to be made within the organisation, that kind of stuff. And it highlights a comment of 700 million in administrative cost savings that need to be made. Interesting to see if it's done, but, you know, let's have a look. Final chapter, chapter seven, actually looks at the legislative changes that may need to take place in order to make this plan viable. So the implementation aspect of it does state that there doesn't technically need to be anything to make the plan happen. But if certain changes were to happen, it would mean that a lot of these changes happen a lot more rapidly and potentially a lot more effectively. What's interesting is that a lot of this talks about reversing much of the legislation put down in the Health and Social Care Act of 2012, particularly in terms of private um, access and things in terms of the um, kind of the act itself. So, you know, kind of reversing a lot of the work that the Tories have tried to do recently. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll see how that pans out, because obviously, as always, when there's any legal kind of changes being made, that makes significant red tape. You guys know about this. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my very brief summary of the, of the um, executive summary.
of the long-term plan. Um, what you will find in the show notes as well is a link to it, a nice little infographic that summarizes all of this kind of stuff as well. And as I said, I, I do hope to have a look at the long-term plan in more detail shortly, well, sooner rather than later, to go through it, and particularly in terms of the digital aspects for all of you guys in terms of one of our future news blasts and stuff. Um, but right now, I'm afraid not had the opportunity to do that, but we'll hopefully get some more information for you. As I said, that's been the big news story of the week. There have been other news stories that I think GPs do need to be aware of. Um, so prior to the long-term plan coming out, um, there was the five-year GP training um, suggestion that came through. And this was looking at a pilot um, that basically looks at taking people from when they qualify for medical school straight through into a form of GP training, it kind of calls it, but it looks like it's just more experience in general practice than currently is offered, and therefore making it a five-year training scheme. Um, what's interesting about this is this doesn't actually lead to an increase in training. So by end of five years after graduation, you still um, will become a GP, um, as a certified GP. But what it focuses on is those um, medical students that want to go straight into general practice can have a, a bigger focus at the start. I think it, without being able to see the pilot in more detail, which I haven't had the opportunity to do this, just simply reading news articles, um, it does come across simply as a way of rebadging the current system, say we're generating more GPs quicker, that kind of stuff. But actually, there's no change in the general practice training. And with general practice already having the shortest training scheme in medical specialities, yet one of the most complex and, and broad specialities out there, that kind of raises the question of, well, you're just repackaging something you know um rather than actually putting particular significant investment in terms of it many people i think would agree that they feel that four-year gp training scheme so currently three moving at the very least to four preferably five if i'm being honest with the focus of a much of that being in general practice not backfilling for secondary care is actually the most appropriate way to deliver higher quality general practice and community care to patients as well so as I said, we'll see. It's a pilot. It's going to be looking at it and see what the outcomes are from there. Another news story, which was actually quite a saddening one to hear. Um, and I guess this news story has previously been released, but it's just come to the front because of the court case now going through at the moment. And this was when a man went in and shot his GP. Um, I'm not going to cover the, the actual particulars of this because I, I think personally I'd rather you guys have a read of it, make your own inferences and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess the reason why I want to highlight this, it does highlight the concept of lone worker policies and particularly in primary care, GPs in particular, um, do work alone a lot and therefore can risk be at risk for themselves in terms of their health and safety. Um, in summary, the article is about a patient that was unsatisfied with the care that they had, took a crossbow in and shot their GP in the stomach and then left him there um, as the GP then tried to you know, um, help him still despite this and support him and things. But obviously there was the criminal aspect of it and that the patient is stating that they had no intention of harming or killing the GP at the time. Um, as I said, I'm not going to comment on whether that's right or wrong in the context of the case itself. Um, personally, I do feel clearly it is wrong um, that no GP should, or healthcare worker ever should be subject to any form of physical or verbal aggression in, the, in any level towards that level or anything, really. I mean, we have a zero tolerance policy in the NHS. It needs to be in effect and it needs to be, in my view, um, used when these occurrences happen to punish people that are found guilty. Um, but I think, you know, it also speaks to me, I guess, in some ways that often we deliver a healthcare service, but that doesn't mean that we're a servant 
to our patients and therefore patients feeling aggrieved to this level where they feel that violence is the answer is never appropriate um uh, and you know we'll see the outcomes of the case and what happens from there but uh, simply i say to all of you make sure you keep safe you know policies everyone hates them but you know maybe you should consider what would you do if you're in a similar situation working in general practice and and how you deal with that have a think about it at the very least i'm sure cqc will be happy that you've got a policy out there um but more in terms of your safety guys make sure that you know everyone's had a consideration what would you do if something similar was to happen to you because it'd be awful clearly um and i think yeah yeah it's not been a great story has it um going to finish off on something slightly different um so uh, many of you probably are aware that there have been lots of drug shortages happening on and off over the past few months and in particular with increasing frequency and severity um this past week there'd been the river oxaban shortage that happened in our area at the very least which was obviously a significant challenge so those of you who may not know and um, river oxaban is a medication that is used to thin your blood um, used for many patients that have clotting disorders or problems with that side of things such as atrial fibrillation which leads to increased risk of strokes and um, post-stroke um, treatments clots in your legs that kind of stuff dvts um, and we had a brief period where apparently all the local pharmacies could not source any of this medication and i guess the challenge that bred was that making a simple switch is not simple you know um you mean it potentially means having to change to completely different drugs which may be metabolized in a completely different way for that individual patient and therefore meaning those patients needed a, a potential face-to-face -face or telephone review to decide what was the best form of treatment because there wasn't actually any guidance to give gps the instructions of what to do in this kind of situation and like i said it was potentially complicating depending on the patient's health issues and that kind of stuff um and this massively caused problems i mean you know we were talking significant amount of time that was being spent and also you know i'm sure our pharmacy colleagues are even more frustrated with, with these kind of problems that they're experiencing with drug shortages and we're hearing more and more of them so river oxaban obviously is one that has significant clinical implications um other things more recently have been things like naproxen so an anti-inflammatory that's been in and out of supply um as well as other medications like diuretics fruzamide a water tablet the eye drops that we use often for many kind of um uh, ophthalmological conditions such as um irritated eyes as well as glaucoma have been in and out of supply creams all that kind of stuff um and i think you know we're being constantly reassured by the secretary of state of health matt hancock that this shouldn't be happening well it is uh, and it's happening increasingly in more frequency um a lot of pharmacy colleagues are uh, subjectively giving stories about short dated medications being released suddenly uh, meaning that it suggests that people are stockpiling effectively which is one of the things that matt hancock assured us would not happen um to the point where it would cause impact on current supplies um, and I think that, you know, obviously everyone's concerned about Brexit and how this will have an impact is clearly evident. And I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, supply medications is something that is massively changed by various different factors, such as supply of the drugs, um, contents of the drugs, warehousing, um, cost. You know, um, people are making significant amounts of profit potentially with the way that these things are. I mean, at one point, a bracket and approximately something like 87p shot up to about £13.87 cost the NHS, you know, and, and this is stuff that needs looking at. And I guess my personal view would be that this needs to have a joint um, statement made by organisations such as NHS England, um, the BMA, RCGP, um, 
the local LMC and the Royal Pharmaceutical Societies to begin to the clinicians how they can safeguard patients moving forward when these kind of things happen because god forbid that was to happen with something that is even more complicated imagine if suddenly methotrexate a medication used to manage patients with arthritis and that kind of stuff suddenly went out of stock supply or things like azathioprine the, the disease modifying drugs you know if they were to go the amount of clinical work and effort that is needed to try and make those patients safe is astronomical because it's not as simple as finding an alternative there may not be alternatives and therefore the risk to those patients is sizable. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's all well and good to say that there won't be problems. Well, there are. So therefore, how do we tackle this? How do we make sure that our patients stay safe? And more importantly as well, how do we make sure that things run smoothly? Because otherwise that's time that's taken away from offering patient facing care as well. So uh, I'm going to put a challenge out there to, to our organizations that supporters and managers and all that kind of stuff that actually what is being done to look at this because we're not even a month away from Brexit and this is happening more increasingly. Um, so, yeah, it's a challenge I put out. There's a challenge I put to our local teams as well for LMC and LPC to work together with the CCG for them to have a look at. And I would love to hear some response from you guys. So if this is something that's affecting you, feel free to comment and feedback to us um so yeah um feel free to, to let us know what is going on in from your particular side of things um and don't forget to check out this week's tip thursday i hope you guys enjoyed it yeah, i think it's a must own app as many of you have probably seen in the videos and stuff but if not feel free to click on the links in the show notes which will show you about the the nottinghamshire lmc app which i feel is a must-have app um for any gp at any stage of their career and any location although it is obviously better for nottinghamshire based gps and stuff um the link to that will be in the show notes or you can click on the card coming up now um and as always guys if you want to contact us feel free um what's coming up next week well um interestingly we've got the release of the um the partnership review um led by um nigel watson and uh, many of the people that followed me know that i've been fairly critical of nigel watson because of the interim report Nothing personal. Actually, I, I actually really think he's, he's an excellent GP and some of the work that he's done in Wessex has been, you know, groundbreaking in terms of supporting GPs and stuff. But I think that the interim pol um, uh, partnership review documents that came out was lacking because there wasn't as a comment about a, um, as an increase in the global sum for GPs. Um, and I've been reassured that that's going to be looked at. We'll see what that means. Slightly frustrates coming out the exact same day as the Brexit vote. Um, so I'm guessing that the media will probably not cover it in as great detail as potentially could have been if it had been released on a you know normal news day rather than probably one of the biggest pieces of the news that we will have in the, at least the next few months anyway um but we shall see so you know big piece of news coming out later on this week and we'll see how that impacts things um if you guys want to see more feel free to subscribe um, and make sure that you click on the bell like i said to make sure you get notified of all of our updates first and foremost and you can check us out on any of our various other platforms so facebook Twitter, or the website. And if you want to support the work that we're doing, um, check us out on the Patreon page. Uh, as I said, all these links are in the show notes and stuff. Anyway, guys, hope you're all doing well. Um, feel free to contact me, feedback, whatever. Always keen to hear your um, you know, comments and stuff. And um, yeah, comment, subscribe, and let's tech enhance your primary care learning. See you later, guys. Bye.